0: Welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. My name's Phil Topham, Executive Director of the FIEC, and it's time for In the News, our regular look at what's Woo-hoo. been happening uh, in the news this week. And that voice was Adrian Reynolds, our Head of National Ministries. You see um, I'm excited about the news. Very I do good like to, the news, Phil. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Very good to see you. Adrian. John Stevens is with us as well, our Hi, National Phil. Director. Good morning to you, John. Well, uh, the first thing to start with, the most important news of the week is that Bolton Wanderers are going to Wembley. So there we are, the Papa John's Trophy Final uh, in early April. Will you be there, John? <laughs> No, Adrian... Well, I did say I would come with you. Yeah, but sadly, I'm at Word Alive. It, it clashes so with, with it you. clashes yep. with Word Alive. Uh, Bolton versus Plymouth, uh, no less. There we are. That's the big the big news of the week. The Papa John's Trophy final. Other pizza is available. Uh, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the the big news that's that's dominated the last couple of weeks has been the resignation of Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister of Scotland, and then of course the resulting leadership context, which has got a huge kind of Christian element to it. But first
1: of all, so is Nick, it worth saying that it's dominated? The political news. So yeah, there's, there's yeah, obviously so, been sorry. serious earthquake uh, well, around the world, yeah, yeah. ongoing war. So which in, we, in did the yeah, we did talk about a fortnight ago. Yeah, did, yeah. uh, to to but, be first, so I'm not minimising that, but yeah, I think
0: yeah. that has that has dominated politics, right, hasn't yeah. it, for yeah. this last couple of weeks? Domestic news. F- yeah. f- first of all, what 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 did we make of Nicola Sturgeon's
1: resignation? <laughs> it was a great surprise. It certainly was to me. Did, did you feel that as well? Yeah, I mean, it's different. I I find it quite. I, I find when I watch things like that, I'm immediately thinking, what's the story behind the story? Um, and maybe that's just because I I am a bit of a conspiracy theorist at heart, as we all are. We've talked about that before. But um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking: is is it just that she's burnt? I mean, she uh, does appear to be burnt out mm. and and had enough, and and bruised and battered. Um, although she seems to have given some of that bruising and battering herself to others. But there we are. Um, is it is it just that, or is is it an acceptance actually that she thinks actually? we're not going to win the next election we're not going to get our independence through we're not going to win the court case against the uk government and um, so there's a bit of speculation about what's going on but um, for 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 good or ill um, she has resigned and um, it's worth watching her speech i think because it is extraordinary um, in that it it kind of is a, a a political speech but it does end up all being about her i thought did you think that john well, I, I i did think it was it was quite self-centered and and there is something in that you know that that when your leadership style becomes about me, as it appears to be here, who knows what's really going on under the, under the surface. Um, I, I think that's a very dangerous place to be, isn't it? But that's certainly how I read it.
2: Yeah, mean, yeah, I watched it, I, mean, I thought it came as a shocker surprise. I mean, she's mm. been a dominant figure in British politics and in Scottish politics for a long period of mm. time. Mm. So I don't think I was particularly expecting that. Um, al- although I, I think... One of the things that's been exposed is the challenge of leading a party that really has one mission, which is to bring about independence in Scotland, but then becomes the government and then has to make decisions mm. across a whole spectrum of policies. And one of the challenges yeah. for the SNP, I think, in government is, is it a progressive party? Is it a conservative party? So, uh, and uh, a coalition one, government as well. Uh, uh, it? It's not really on its own, yeah, is it? with, it's with it's the government, and, and that's been exposed, I think. So obviously her position became vulnerable over all the confusion over gender recognition, particularly over the issue of the kind of the rapist and whether they should be in a male prison or a female prison, Mm. self-identification. And that exposed kind of, in a sense, her convictions about a sort of progressive liberal agenda, which aren't necessarily shared by the SNP more widely. It's easy to forget that actually the origins of the SNP were more with people from a conservative disposition who wanted a kind of an an independence for Mm. for Scotland. So there's obviously been challenges in terms of what direction the SNP should take, and that's being exposed in the current kind of election for a, a, a successor. There's also that sense in which actually the kind of progress towards independence in Scotland seems to some extent to have stalled. All of the polls suggest that there's been very little progress towards a majority in favour of independence since the vote in 2014. So I think it was 45% then, it's around about 46% now. And there just isn't any indication of a settled will on the Scottish people that they're wanting to go for kind of um, uh, independence despite Brexit, despite kind of um, other things, despite many years of Conservative government in Westminster. So, uh, I mean, at one level, um, it's kind of slightly pushing water uphill, it seems, at the the moment.
1: Isn't it forty whatever five um, six percent? I mean, you, you're, you're still not far say, off. You yeah. still say on that basis that's that's that represents a very divided political scene.
2: Uh, indeed, but we're, we're really talking about why she stepped aside. Yeah, and yeah, one level yeah. you've given much of your life to that. There seemed to be an indication that she wants to do other things in politics and have other other concerns that she wants to pursue. So maybe there's just an understandable sense of that. But I did, I did think it was a remarkable sort of resignation statement. I watched it live of her talking talking about herself. It was very self focused. And again, what struck me was this kind of complaining about the the, the nature of politics and how brutal it is. And actually, she's been part of that process Mm. and has now been Mm. hurt by it. But comments she's made about conservatives, about others, about other groups, about those who don't support independence, she's been perfectly happy to engage in that kind of political um, debate. Uh, And it has come back to uh, kind of burn her. And I wonder whether on both, all of those things, there are elements in which kind of we can learn from church leadership. So, there's always the danger of pursuing a single agenda. So as Christian leaders, we often have to speak across a whole spectrum of kind of different issues. We can't just simply choose one thing and actually leaders who do make one thing, one focus, the central point of their ministry, often that becomes unbalanced Mm. um, uh, kind of uh, in the end. And, we can't engage in kind of critiquing others and um, engage in a kind of a rumbustious kind of approach, and then not expect to feel the consequences of that ourselves. I mean, biblical principle: treat others as you wish to be treated.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, that's led to a, a massive leadership campaign being launched. Uh, and as soon as um, Nicola Sturgeon announced her resignation, people were, were questioning whether Kate Forbes, who's a member of the Free Church of Scotland, um, who we're in partnership with in affinity uh, as, a, as a constituent member, um, whether she would, would step up uh, and put her hat into the ring for, for the leadership. She very quickly did. Uh, and what has followed
1: has been basically a... a She's been vilified in the media. It's, it's worth just setting some context, isn't it? She is already a senior minister. Yeah, with the finance in, package. Um, yep. In the in the finance. Uh, yep. She's the finance minister, although she's on maternity leave currently. And we're saying done an excellent um, job at that, at quite short notice. Yeah, she's been, when yes, she had she to step in, into it. Had to step yeah, in for yeah. another scandal. She's been, um, very, her, her ministry there has been very well received. Um, so actually, it is, uh, we'll get on to talk about, won't we, about Christians in um, in politics? But it's worth remembering that she has been a Christian in politics for some time, and and seems to have performed at a very high level, and done extremely well. But yes, it is extraordinary to see the um, uh, the knives that have been out mm. for her because of a number of positions she takes, or the Free Church of Scotland takes, and she's assumed to have... And actually, she's been very straight and confirmed what she thinks about these various things. Well, she's just been honest. Yeah, she has. And and she said she wants to be honest. She wants to act with integrity. She doesn't want to dodge the bullets. And that, and that's just riled a lot of people.
0: Is it not ridiculous, though, in politics, that people can say, on the one hand, you're entitled to your personal views as long as you don't express them. And then when people are honest about their personal views, they say, oh, you shouldn't perhaps have been honest about that. Yeah. We want integrity, but but we don't well, at the same time. It's the intolerance time.
1: of tolerance, isn't it? Yeah. Um, th- that actually... Um, you know the people who pretend or purport to be very tolerant of other views actually end up being very intolerant of people that don't share their own particular views and, that, and that's that's a dynamic that's been understood I think for some time
2: I think one of the challenges that I'm actually that the, the, the problem here is the whole idea of having personal views. So, sort of this idea that you can separate somehow your personal views from kind of politics. And I think that's something of a conceit. I was listening to a kind of a radio phone in on this, and someone was saying, you know, how dare Kate, Kate Forbes, you know, she holds these views and she'd want to bring them into politics. You know, I, how, how dare you have somebody who would, would want to do that? But of course, as was pointed out, everybody who goes into politics comes with their personal views that they want to implement. So, those who are wanting to pursue a progressive liberal agenda, um, they are actually pursuing their personal beliefs. That's that's what drives them. That's what kind of motivates them. Politicians want to reflect in their policy what their deep convictions um, are. And some so it's, it's ironic, isn't it? We've talked about gender recognition. The whole idea that somebody can become a woman simply because they declare themselves to be a woman, that is in, an, in the end an act of faith and personal belief. That's a mystical conviction, not based on any kind of scientific or rational premise. That, that is simply a matter of personal belief that is then being an acted into legislation. So everybody in politics wants to ultimately bring their personal beliefs to bear. And at one level, would you want a politician Hmm. who in a sense keeps a separation between what they really think and what they're prepared to do? Now, as Kate Forbes and and Tim Farron and others have argued, there's a difference between sort of having my personal beliefs and then imposing those on others. Uh, And that's the essence of what kind of liberalism means within a kind of a a plural, a democratic kind of context. So the difference between saying, I've got strong convictions as a Christian, and I might want to even argue for those strong convictions in the public sphere, that is quite different from saying, I'm then going to impose them on others Mm. by legislation, unless that's supported by the democratic uh, kind of majority. Which you wouldn't
0: be able to do that as the leader of the SNP. It's a ridiculous position. You can't just impose your one view
1: and expect everybody else to follow that surely that's that's how democracy works, isn't it? Well you might think so, although you could I think you probably could make an argument that's how Nicola Sturgeon led the SNP. But I, I mean I think it raises all kinds of questions and, and I'm interested I'm interested a lot in what are church members going to be saying on Sunday morning. Well, there are all kinds of stories in the news. This is one of them. Are, are Christians going to basically be saying um, there you go this is proof that Christians are being persecuted in the UK is that, is that right John? Yeah, Christians I, are being persecuted is I mean, that the right it's, language? It's a
0: really good question because you know, I have no designs on becoming the leader of the SNP but it does make mm. you think Well, could you just n- never hold yeah. office yeah. as a Christian?
2: Well it's interesting isn't it because as, as you said she's already been a minister for finance and has been allowed to serve in that role. Ian Blackford who was the SNP spokesman in kind of Westminster for a long period of time was also a member of the Free Church of Scotland he so um, personally holds to to those same convictions, and they weren't attacked in the same way. We have to recognise that part of this is about a political argument about who's going to become leader of the SNP. And mm-hmm. for those who want the SNP to be a progressive liberal party, they will seize on these kinds of things as a way of trying to undermine a leadership campaign. So at one level, is this part and parcel of politics or is this part part and parcel of religious persecution? Is it any different from wanting to criticise Rishi Sunak because of his wealth and the wealth of his wife and her having a, a non-dom status? I don't think we should leap to think that this is Religious kind of persecution directly. It's not the case that people are barred from exercising high political office because of their faith. Having said that, um, uh, it, it is difficult, I think, for Christians to exercise kind of leadership of political parties because they have to support the the positions of those political parties. And the issue here is really what are the policies of the SNP and will its leader reflect those um, policies? And it's a brute fact that in contemporary Britain, the vast majority of the population supports gay marriage. The vast majority of the population um, supports um, the provision of legal abortion and a woman's right to choose. And the convictions that Christians have on those issues are out of line with the vast majority of the population. And that inevitably means that it's going to, I think, be more difficult for Christians who hold strongly to those positions to be elected to office to serve, because it will be out of step with what um, party members and, and what the electorate more widely um, would want to pursue. So I, I, I think there is um, a, the challenge of being a Christian serving in a representative capacity in a cultural context in which the views that Christians hold are very different. And of course, you know, 150 years ago, it would have been extraordinarily difficult for an atheist to get political office. It would have been exactly the other way, way around because the democratic majority of the population would not have wanted an atheist to be exercising um kind of political office. So I don't, I don't think we should think that it's religious or kind a of persecution, or a nonconformist <laughs> indeed. Um, I, I do want to say, for, uh, it's really important, I think we should pay tribute to Kate for honesty. I think she's done an amazing, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think yep. she's been a, a wonderful example of a Christian engaging mm. in the public sphere. She hasn't compromised, she hasn't been dishonest, she said what she um, kind of believes, she hasn't backpedaled in order to try to get office. Mm. I think she's been a wonderful witness to Christ and Christianity and the centrality of Christ um, uh, in her life. She's also indicated her willingness as a Christian to want to serve the community um, a, a, as a whole. And I think where there are many Christians in public life or in work or in other contexts who attempted to keep their heads down, basically because they don't want to attract attention, I think her willingness to answer questions honestly and straightforwardly Mm. is a wonderful example. And you might call it persecution, but you you inevitably, when you do that, will attract opposition and people will disagree with you. Mm. That's that's not the same, I think, as an institutional persecution. Mm. But I think all credit to Kate Forbes, who set a wonderful example to Christians of faithful service and then being willing to be absolutely honest. And at one level, you get the feeling that um, uh, actually she's more concerned to testify to Christ than to get the leadership. She is not prepared to do whatever it takes in order to get into that role of, of leadership. And I think that is an absolute model of what we want to see of Christians going into public service. Yes. So Which
1: begs a second question for me that um, perhaps you would only ask north of the border at the moment. But let's say there's a general election. It, it might be a more general question. Um, if you're a member of the SNP, or more generally, if you're voting in an election and one of the candidates is a Christian, right, a, a clear Christian like Kate Forbes, um, very clear about faith, evangelical, committed to the Word of God, um, you'd automatically vote for them, wouldn't you? Is 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 it is it the case that um, actually there are so few Christians around that whatever your political views, you ought to vote for the Christian? I'll only drink milk from a Christian cow. As you know, Steve Taylor once famously sung in the 80s. Is that right, John? So if if, if I'm presented with a board of of, um, of of different options, different people to vote for, one of them's a Christian, bang, default vote.
2: Well, I don't think so, actually. I would say, agree. Would think. Oh, I, I agree with think. that. I,
0: I, I agree with you, John. But it, yeah. se-
2: it seems to me that um, you're, you're electing them to to fulfil a set of promises that they've made in their manifestos. And the mere fact that a person is, is a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that they will be good in government or they'll do the right thing in government. So if you're in Scotland and you are a Christian, imagine that Kate Forbes was leader of the SNP. That doesn't mean you're necessarily going to vote SNP. You might not want independence. believe yeah, that independence absolutely. would be bad for the long-term future of, of Scotland. So I don't think it's anywhere near as simplistic as that. Well, I'm,
1: I'm with you, but um, I, yeah. I, think, I think people are. Do you yeah. think about things simplistic like that? You know, actually, if I've got um, two doctors and I can go and see one is a Christian, I'll go and see the Christian. I, I, I You know, if, if I'm voting, um, I might have particular views about politics. But actually, I, if, there's, if there's one who's a Christian, that's that one's going to get my vote because they're sh- so rare.
2: Although I'm not sure that comparison quite works. If you've got two doctors, you'd hope they're both equally competent and they're both trying to do the same thing. In the political sphere, you've got a whole other platform of oh, yes, policies you're, that you're wanting in, to implement. In that context,
1: you're still thinking about the doctor's competence, not their faith so you are you are drawing distinctions in the right place i i think the challenge is we see so few christians in public life and and doing christian things that we're automatically drawn to christians um, you know, it tugs at our heartstrings. We, you know, we think, oh, you know, even if actually it's not the person I would party I would normally voted for, the doctor I would normally go and see. So, so I think actually we do, need, we do need to understand common grace, don't we? Mm. We do need and to
2: understand that actually um, uh, the Lord can also work through people who are not Christians and do a great job. And it can be very complex because, for example, you might in your constituency have a good Christian candidate and you know that because of the public mood, the votes, the polls, a particular party is going to win. You might decide actually having a representation of a good Christian in Parliament Um, is actually more important at this point because actually that party's going to win anyway, but you want to make sure that somebody is going to be at least a voice for Christianity. So making those judgments when you vote... I think it can actually be really quite complicated. Christian
1: tactical voting. You heard it here first. There we are.
2: It
0: does link to something though, Adrian, that you wanted to pick up about Nigeria. Just yeah. because you've got a Christian leader doesn't necessarily mean that things would be better for Christians in the nation where there's a Christian no, leader. No, it doesn't.
1: Um, Nigeria its an important country. It's the largest country in Africa, has the largest economy in Africa. Uh, we've talked a lot about Eastern Europe because of Ukraine and what's going on in Ukraine. Obviously, that is significant. We've talked a lot about, or t- a little bit about Turkey and Syria following the earthquake. Um, but a significant day tomorrow. Today is Friday. Tomorrow, um, which is let me have a quick look. Twenty fifth. I should know that. It's almost my birthday. <laughs> 25th of February, Saturday. Um, presidential elections in Nigeria. Really significant. Um, Nigeria is a country that has huge influence in Africa, especially in that that sort of part of sub-Saharan Africa and northern Africa. But actually, um, Nigeria is a country that, because of um, emigration, has influence all around the world. Um, lots of us will be serving in churches alongside Nigerian brothers and sisters or will know Nigerian Christians and, who are in churches um, in the UK. And actually, um, really significant influence um, amongst all kinds of countries, um, I've done a preaching conference in Cameroon, which uh, borders onto Nigeria. And there they talk about the influence that Nigeria has on them. So I, I think these presidential elections are very significant. Um, and in, uh, Nigeria as a country is obviously um, some Christian, some Muslim. Uh, largest number of Christians, I think, um, almost, apart from people who declare they're Christians, um, of, of any country in the world apart from America, something like that, um, 110 million you know. Mm. Christians. But actually, um, on the Open Doors world watch list of persecution is number six, Mm. which surprises some people. They've had a Christian president in the past. They've also had a a Muslim president. And of course, that's largely because of what's going on in the north of Nigeria, where it's very, very difficult to be a Christian. And I I was just reading this morning on the Open Doors website an extraordinary statistic that 90% of people killed for their faith last year were killed in Nigeria. Wow! So, if if the world watch list that Open Doors produce, they say, was just based on violence alone, Nigeria would be number one by some distance. Mm. So, it's an extraordinary thing, and we ought to pray for the elections. And I, I think there's a, there's an interesting thing going on. It's a very young country. So half, almost half of the voting population are under thirty five. And um, what's happening is there is a move towards a third candidate. Traditionally in Nigeria, there have been two parties. I and mean, it looks like one party is going is to win the election, the presidential election again. But there's a third candidate kind of middle way coming coming through that lots of the younger generation are flocking to. Um, and it could have a significant impact. I think it's because of the economy, because of the diaspora that there is, but also because of this persecution that there is, especially by uh, Poko Haram in the north, mm-hmm. um, largely being energised by what's going on in Afghanistan. And I I think, you know, um, this Sunday, we're gonna be praying for the world in church. We're gonna be praying for Ukraine. We're gonna be praying for Syria and Turkey. We're also gonna pray for Nigeria. That'd be a really good thing to do, wouldn't it? So there's no guarantee I think because you have a Christian leader that that makes everything okay. It's a very complex country, understand that. Um, And I think Christian leaders have had more integrity in Nigeria than some others who have gone before. Um, But actually it's, it's no guarantee of success.
2: So I saying we have to be careful to think through what does a Christian mean? What does it mean to have yeah. a Christian leader? I mean, the last atheist leader in the UK, the last atheist prime minister was I think James Callahan. Mm. So Margaret Thatcher would have talked about having a, a kind of a religious faith. Um certainly Tony Blair, that was a very significant element of, of his uh, kind of makeup. Um, Gordon Brown, a kind of son of, son of the manse. Um, David Cameron would have talked about having Didn't a sort of Anglicanism. did he say
1: like classic FM? The reception yeah, it, it, comes and goes.
2: Yeah, that, was, that, mag, was, magic that was David FL, Cameron. Um, yeah, um, Theresa yeah. May, regular churchgoer. Mm. Boris Johnson, converted to Catholicism and um, had his children kind of baptised mm. within Catholicism. Obviously, we, we, we now have a, um, uh, a, a Hindu, kind of Hindu mm. Prime Minister. So, uh, 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 but, but what is a real um, kind of um, Christian? What's the difference between a kind of a super Official adherence to a sort of Christian culture uh, and real faith. And at one level, I think one of the things that's come out of the issues in the sort of the SNP leadership is just a real lack of understanding of what Christianity yes, is in, right. in the public yeah, sphere. Right. So the Free yeah. Church of Scotland um, has been kind of characterized as some extremist fundamentalist sect yeah. because of its convictions. Um, uh, but yet, actually, a belief that marriage is only to be between a man and a woman, a heterosexual relationship, that that's the only proper context in which to have children, that abortion is wrong and is the killing of a child. Those are actually just historic Christian beliefs Mm. that were Mm. sort of held by by the church um, and that would be held by those that are evangelical believers um, who are are committed to the Bible. They'd also be the convictions of the Roman Catholic Church around the world. So these are not... And a lot of
1: Christians in between, actually. Mm. Um,
2: So the idea that somehow this is some extremist position represents a a kind of a failure to recognise what Christianity is and what Christians kind of really believe. Um, And at one level, the liberal media would want to give the impression that actually that's that's not the belief of Christians – Um, But even the Church of England, for all of the failings of its kind of recent decision about blessing same-sex relationship, the Church of England has not chosen to perform same-sex kind of weddings. The orthodox doctrine of the Church of England on marriage is exactly the same as the Free Church of Scotland, Mm. that it's a sort of a heterosexual relationship between a man um, and a woman. So the established religion of the nation is the same as the position of the Free Church of Scotland. So to characterize it as some extreme position – is just religiously um, illiterate. Mm.
1: And there's well, a lot of that going on, isn't it? I mean, I've heard of two instances in the last few weeks of churches being thrown out of schools in some way, Church of England schools in which they meet because of their view on um, same-sex marriage or not allowing same-sex marriage. Which, coincidentally, and, is the same view as the <laughs> official they, view of the Church of England. When they English. point that out to yeah, the schools yeah. in both cases, some surprise... Mm. Sort of registered back, really, you know. So I think even people within the system yeah. don't re- don't recognise they they sort of drink in the caricature mm. and, and don't recognise this is mainstream teaching.
2: And of course, in Scotland, the Church of Scotland, which decided to perform same-sex marriages some time ago, the Church of Scotland is in catastrophic decline. Yeah. Recent statistics over a five-year period, they've shrunk by twenty-nine percent mm. in their in their attendance. They are a dying church. The irony is that the free church of scotland although it's smaller is actually a growing church that is is planting and seeing a growth and has some thriving congregations so um it is those churches that are remaining Mm. faithful Mm. to the bible um, that are uh, the growing churches. Our, f- our,
1: our friend David Meredith posted a lovely post, which was a list of Church of Scotland buildings up for sale, which at one <laughs> level was very sad. <laughs> but just to make the point, actually, you know, yeah. this is not where the future is. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, it's a, a, go on.
2: and the irony is, in the SNP election, one of the, the other leading candidates, their health minister, is a Muslim mm. by background, or at least identifies mm. as a Muslim. But he's in favour of gay marriage and a progressive uh, kind of issues. And you kind of say, I wonder whether the Muslim community would in any way rec- recognise that as being a valid... Mm sort of Muslim position. The reality is that Islam is an incredibly conservative um, Mm -hmm, religion on issues of sexuality and kind of marriage. But yet it's accepted as if he is a Muslim candidate, despite the fact that his beliefs would be out of step Mm. with the vast majority of British Muslims and out of step with the vast majority of Muslims kind of around the world, which just shows that the liberal media is wanting to kind of force religion into its own uh, Mm, kind of outlook and reshape the doctrines of religious faith mm-hmm. um, to conform to um, their liberal outlook. Uh, as, as a
0: former journalist, I was furious with some of the sort of biblical illiteracy, Christian illiteracy that I've seen in some of the reports this week. It's just extraordinary. But mm-hmm. I guess it's just what we expect, isn't it? Because there, there isn't yeah. that there isn't that level of, uh, of literacy in terms of the Christian mm-hmm. faith. Um, we talked about Nigeria. It's worth, you, you talked about praying for, for Nigeria on Sunday, Adrian. It's that's, that's a great thing to do. Churches can do that, can't they? They can also pray on for Ukraine, the anniversary yeah, yeah. today yeah. of the invasion and it'll be clearer. Russia it will
1: be clearer on sunday won't it what exactly has happened Mm. um so there is talk about russia launching a fresh invasion um or a fresh initiative Mm. Uh, they do love a date in russia um everything is sort of tied into dates and you know doing things on significant days and so we'll wait we'll wait and see it will be clearer on sunday but we need to go on praying for people in ukraine for believers caught up in this in all kinds of different places and let's not forget um believers in russia who are um you know, Marginalised because they're Christians and will often find life very difficult. Uh, Christians in Belarus who find life very difficult. So, so actually, there's a lot to go on praying for. We mustn't let these things slip from our consciousness. There's
0: a moral question as well, there, John, isn't there, about how many, how much arms should be given to Ukraine to help them in this, in this fight?
2: Uh, there is. I mean, I. Uh it seems to me that th- this is a, a really significant conflict for the sake of europe and um, what was thought to be a short war is suddenly going to come into a long term yeah. war of attrition many commentators have made the point that sort of putin's hope for winning is basically that the West gets fed up of supporting Ukraine. Um, it seems to me that if Russian aggression is not going to be rewarded, um, then in the end there's no real option except for the West to continue to provide the arms that are needed to the people who are laying down their lives. Mm. There have been more than 20,000 Ukrainians have been killed defending their own country against this completely unwarranted aggression. Yeah. What they need is the material means to be able to continue um, that fight. It's obviously a difficult balance because the West doesn't want to end up in a world war with Russia but at the same time it wants to give the Ukrainians what is necessary for them to be able to defend their mm-hmm. own um, home country and i think um you know that the, the greatest chance of putin winning is that the west becomes tired of supplying yeah. what is needed war is always costly yeah. the ukrainians if they were not being supported by the west financially and militarily would have been rolled over and ukraine would no longer exist mm-hmm. and if if we want a world in which kind of invasions succeed then do nothing. Um, But it seems important that um, we don't allow the success of war and invasion uh, kind of in Europe.
0: There's a perseverance there, isn't there? And a perseverance in prayer for us as Christians as well to keep Ukraine uh, and the people of Ukraine uh, very much in our prayers. And um, One more story to talk about before we draw to a conclusion. And uh, we've talked about Kate Forbes, a Christian woman looking for the um, SNP leadership. Um, but there's another uh, Christian in the public eye who's passed away this week. Um, John Motson, mm. um, uh, son of a Methodist <laughs> minister, a uh, Christian man uh, who was just loved by many. Yeah, soundtrack to my youth. Yeah, mm. that will be the case, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. John Motson's football commentary is embedded in people's minds, yeah, isn't that's it? that's right. Yeah,
1: I think. And he was at Hills. Of course, yeah. Um, famously, so not just football commentary, but actually commentating on very difficult mm. things. Um, he was also there in Hillsborough and gave evidence to the Hillsborough Inquiry. And it is uh, it is it's very striking. I mean, I I I love listening to John Mott. It I, it really is the soundtrack of my mm. youth, um, growing up. Um, and he had a, had a strong Christian faith. Didn't make a huge amount about it. I remember when I was first a pastor. Um, I think during a World Cup, we had a. We had a it was a video then, Phil. You probably don't remember video cassettes about the same size as this uh, Bible. Used to put them in machines, <laughs> um, uh, but we had a video. Um, I think called the Greater, the Greater Goal or something mm. like that, which was narrated by him. Which mm. was an evangelistic video. It had right. clips of footballers um, talking about their faith. Um, this is back in the eight uh, sort of. I think it was recorded in the late eighties, early nineties, and um, then John Motson sort of talking about his faith. It's very moving, and he was a great supporter of Christians in sport. Um, a keen churchgoer he grew up in a Methodist family mm. you'll love this story Phil I, I thought this story was great he, he was sent along to a Methodist boarding school um, as a keen football supporter his dad had been taking him to, to football every Saturday and um, they didn't play football they played rugby and he got in trouble with the headmaster for putting out jumpers as goalposts. Can Fantastic. you believe that? You can't make it up, really. Oh, that's great. Jumpers as goalposts. And um, the headmaster called him in saying, we're doing the jumpers. And um, he shouldn't be doing that. They were a rugby-playing school. But it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't make him lose his love of, love of football. And actually, here was someone who was really passionate about the subject. He wasn't just an employee mm. who was mm. commentating on football. Although he did once, he, he commentated on all kinds of things including Greco-Roman wrestling. <laughs> 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 to which I think Dickie Davis, I think it was someone like Dicky Davis or someone like that who also passed away this week, said to him, don't worry, there's only two people who understand Greco-Roman wrestling in the UK and neither of them will be watching. Them. <laughs> They'll be out rehearsing so it doesn't matter. But um, he, he loved football yeah, and he yeah. was speaking about something that he was passionate about and, and that makes a real difference to country. Uh, John, you're not particularly
2: a football fan are
1: you? But um, you can you can appreciate someone being passionate about something, speaking about it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually rather disappointed, Phil, you're not wearing your sheepskin coat in kind of yeah. tribute to that. I think that's it's kind just of what hanging it would on the hook would over there. there. <laughs> have, um, would have, yeah, I'm not a great um, fan of football, but actually I always enjoyed listening to him. Mm. He engaged you. And I think actually it was a combination. of He was informative. He explained what was going on. His enthusiasm was kind of infectious. I picked up on a couple of things. There was a tribute to him uh, kind of on the radio that I happened to be listening to. And it, it, sort of the two big things were his expertise that he absolutely knew, uh, uh, mm. A sort of a yeah. The sport. Absolutely. He did, did all his work, did his research. So you know he was able to kind of you know tell you when this had last happened in a, in a, mm. sort of a game. It, these are in days before having computers and yeah, those no days, yeah. and yeah, great teams year. of researchers. Mm. Absolutely yeah, he did it all on mm. top of his mm. material mm. Mm. Um, and thoroughly prepared. And in a sense all that preparation enabled him to comment on individual games. He didn't use it all in every individual game, but all that background of information mm. and hard work mm. made his commentary um, accurate, helpful. Um, but also he was described as being a commentator for the fans. Yeah. So rather than sitting somehow objectively distant from it, mm. basically he commentated in a way that was, and it was described as being kind of like being next door to your mate at the game Absolutely. in the way that he communicated. And I was just struck by, I think, both of those things actually have real parallels with how we preach. Yes. Minister of the Bible. It, it yes. seems to me that actually the task of being a commentator, a sports commentator, who helps others to engage in the action. But actually, particularly maybe if you're on the radio, you're not there watching yourself, but you're actually helping somebody to kind of you ent- are their eyes. En- enter yeah, into absolutely. it. You are, you are yeah, their yeah. eyes. Yeah. That that work is exactly what we do when we take God's word and we enable the congregation and, and others to, to hear it. And that combination of a depth of expertise and knowledge mm. that we can bring to bear um, on the word, but particularly speaking as a fan to fans, not sort of um, sort of objectively distant, but as believers mm-hmm. ourselves who are gripped by this, who love it. Uh, and who want to convey that uh, to other people. That's absolutely what we should be able. We for.
0: should have an excitement for the gospel every time we preach, yeah, shouldn't yeah. we? And that should really come through in the in the way we deliver it. I mean, people talk about having a a, a motty moment, if I can put it like that. That was um, going around on Twitter yesterday. And I know what mine is. It was back in 94, we were, Bolton were playing at Arsenal. Sorry, Adrian. And at the time, Bolton were rubbish, like they are now. And Arsenal <laughs> were, were right up there towards the top of, uh, are uh, they uh, of, now? of the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and essentially, it was a giant killing. Uh, and Bolton were 2 one up. Uh, and one of our players Andy Walker gets the ball on the edge of the box and I still remember the commentary Motson goes Walker for Bolton and he goes yes and he celebrates the goal as it hits the net surely that must be it and everyone's got a Motty moment but
1: but it's just it, that enthusiasm for for his material I think that's really yes I mean sometimes he was very measured yeah when um, he had and to be I think be. again yeah. there's a lesson there for preaching isn't it that he was, he was measured and impartial um, but actually, every now and again, the emotion shone through and mm. you realise this really means something to him. Mm. And uh, anyway, he's um, his with Christ, which is better by far. And it, I think that's the greatest thing of all, isn't it? Um, that actually his Christian faith means something, counts or something. And uh, will there be the beautiful game in the new creation? God, I, I can't um, possibly listen give a theological podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> to that question. John, Adrian, thanks so much for talking about the new stories of this last yeah. couple of weeks. This has been Independence, the FIEC podcast. Do rate, uh, leave a review, share it so others can find it and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.